Uh, well, my name is Roger, and I'm the lead pastor here at Restore Church. And man, I, I just want to welcome you and, and say thanks for being here. If you're new to Restore Church, uh, we just want to say welcome. We hope that this service is, is a gift offering to you. And I want to say a couple things. One is that life groups begin this week. So if you signed up for a life group, um, you should have gotten an email from your life group leader. If you haven't, just check, uh, just check with us or send us an email or something. It's not too late to sign up for life groups, and so uh, you can send us an email at info at restorejacks.church, uh, and we'll get you signed up. The, the second thing is for Oktoberfest. Man, we're so excited about Oktoberfest. It is the biggest thing Restore Church does in a year. It's a great opportunity for us to show how much we love our city. We offer a nursing tent uh, for young mothers to nurse. We offer a changing station for young families to change their children. And then we have a restore tent. We need your help to volunteer for that day. And so we're going to be out there all day from, from 7 a.m. to 6 p.m. It's a great day. We pass out a ton of flyers, frisbees, uh, and then we got some new t-shirts. We're not passing those out, but we got some new t-shirts coming for us to wear for that. So, um, you know, Block your calendars out, sign up. Uh, it's a great opportunity for us to, to love our community. One of my favorite bands, all time, DC Talk. Anybody? There's some nodding going on? Yeah. Uh, circa 1997, okay? They created a ton of bops. And one of the lyrics in their song goes like this. Now, i got to warn you before I sing, you might be asking me to lead worship after this. Uh, the answer is... Maybe. We'll see. The lyric goes, Some people gotta learn the hard way And I guess I'm the kind of guy who's gotta find out Any DC Talk fans? For myself. That's, my, that's me. Uh, also, my best attempt at singing. But, and so uh, we'll talk about worship later. But, um... I always have to learn the hard way, and I always have to find out for myself. What was your first car? Mine was a 1994 Blurple Dodge Neon. It was blue uh, as it drove like up this way, but as it passed you, it turned purple because of the way it shimmered because I was driving it. You know what I mean? Yeah. It was a stick shift, which was important to me because that impressed all the girls. It had way too many miles on it, but that didn't really matter much to me. None of the dashboard worked. But again, that didn't matter. Like the check engine light, what is that? And so it really didn't matter that the dashboard didn't work because I would just, you know, all the pictures that I had of my football team and my boys and, you know, my family and my dog and whatever else, the sunrise. You know, you know what I remember driving to high school? He had all the pictures up there. Some of y'all still got the pictures up there. You're grown up. Take them down now. Okay, put them in a photo album or take a picture of your iPhone. So it didn't really matter to me that the check engine light didn't work. I just got to look at my pretty girlfriend, you know, right there. The speedometer didn't work. Uh, that didn't really matter to me until I got pulled over. The... Um, the gas gauge didn't work in my car, uh, so I learned the tricks of the trade there, how to do miles per gallon and then how many gallons are in my car. I was a math major in the, as a junior in high school. 
I drove that thing to school. I drove it to church. I drove it to parties. I drove it wherever. I just like to drive. I think a part of it just uh, like fulfilled that extra version that I have of just people in my car. And so we would drive around. This was when gas was, you know, at like it was low. It was like a dollar ninety nine, and we were freaking out because it was about to go over two dollars. Well, we would drive around just to wake gas, man. I loved driving that car. Then all of a sudden, I was driving on the AA Highway in Falmouth, Kentucky. A couple of you know what I'm talking about. And then my car started doing this weird thing. It began to smoke. It, it didn't matter much to me because when I drove faster, the smoking stopped. And the faster I drove, the less smoke I saw. So obviously drive fast. And so that's what I did. I decided, you know, it'll fix itself if something is broken and I'll just drive fast until about 30 minutes later when all driving ceased. 30 minutes later, my car just stopped. And then the smoke, you can't get away from it at that point. It's in the car, it's around the car, it's on top of the car, under the car. And so I just had to get out and I called my dad, and I was like, Dad, I, I don't know what's happening, but the, the car is smoking. And so the mechanic, it gets towed to the mechanics, to the shop. When the mechanic got the car in the shop, he called my dad, and he, he asked him, he said, Roger, when's the last time? They called me Eric then, but uh, Roger, when's the last time that Eric changed the oil in the car? So my dad stuck to the wall, because back then phones were on the wall, you had to talk on the wall, you could only go as far as the cord would reach, you know, uh, and so he yells downstairs, Eric, when's the last time you changed the oil, and I was like, the what? I changed the pictures, um, I filled it up with gas with your card when you sent me to the grocery store, uh, the oil, Last week, Dad, I filled it up, I changed it, I filled it up, I uh, did the doohickey last week with the oil. You know, when you don't change the oil of your car, it'll smoke. It will stop running. This is your reminder that you should be doing it every three to 5,000 miles. Get your oil changed. I'm getting mine changed this week. Of course, because I didn't change the oil in the car, the car stopped running. And because I didn't change the oil in my car, it caused more problems uh, under the hood. Did you know that your car can do such thing as shooting a rod through the brick? I just thought it was a basketball turn that we said in the streets, you know? But it is not. When you don't take care of the little things, everything can go wrong. And who would have thought that if you don't take care of the little things, everything might blow up later? We started this series um, called Stomping on Eggshells as a guide to healthy and strong relationships. In our relationships, we don't want to continue to go on tiptoeing on eggshells. Man, we want to have healthy, strong, and free relationships where we can stomp on eggshells, where we can have freedom in our relationships. The first week, Kevin did a great job. He started us off talking about the need for relationships, that we need each other. The second, the second week, we talked about anger and when it arises in our relationships, how to have healthy, godly anger. Remember, anger always glorifies someone. Let's use ours to glorify God. 
Last week we talked about pride, and there is no room for pride in our relationships with each other. But before we talk about our relationships with each other, we've got to get pride out of the relationship we have with God. The feedback that we've gotten about this, um, about this uh, series, man, I had no idea how badly some of our relationships needed it. Man, uh, some of the feedback is, how did you know? Man, I've been, I've been taking steps toward uh, eradicating the anger outburst in my life. Well, this week, I think even with those past weeks uh, in mind, this week might be the most important in our relationships. So much so that we're going to talk about this issue for the next two weeks, and that is conflict. How to have conflict and healthy conflict in our relationships. I feel like a lot of us in our relationships... While the check engine light is on, we just ignore it. We put a picture over it as if the conflict never happened at all. Sometimes in our relationships, we just handle the conflict incompletely. We, we handle it on a surface level, but we never get deep enough to handle it and get the, the situation resolved. Or, if we do resolve it, it's in, a health, it's in an it's in an unhealthy way, say that three times fast in front of 100 people, in an unhealthy way, and then it just, it just starts to pile on top of other issues. Our culture teaches us to handle conflict by shouting louder, by being smarter, by having more verified articles to share on Facebook. And that's how we handle conflict. But when we handle our conflict, it usually results in us not being friends with the other person or blocking them, or that's the end of the relationship altogether. We would rather avoid conflict than take care of it. We'd rather talk about it than be about it. We'd rather treat conflict in our relationships as if they're just going to go away if we change the subject or move on to a new life stage. Married couples would rather have a baby than to talk about the lack of communication or trust that they have. Or maybe you're a single individual, and, and, and you think that if you guys get married, that it'll just make everything better. If you could just be together all the time, then, then all the issues that you have underlying will go away. Look, that's just driving faster so the smoke will disappear. That's putting a light over the check engine light as if it will just go away. Too often we don't have healthy conflict. Uh, too often we, we, we just ignore it. We, we put a picture over it. We just move on. Look, conflict is inevitable, and we have to be able to handle it in healthy ways. Let me ask you this. What would happen? What would change in your life, in your marriage, in your friendships, in your work relationships, if you could handle conflict in a healthy way? If you were confident about walking into your, uh, your bedroom to have this conversation with your spouse instead of wondering how to approach it uh, by tiptoeing on eggshells. What if handling conflict didn't end relationships? What if it only strengthened them? Here at Restore Church, we use the Bible as our authority. We go to the Bible for all of our teachings to hear what God has to say. And so, um, if you have your Bible, go ahead and open up to the book of Matthew. 
Um, if you don't have a Bible, we have a volunteer somewhere who will pass out Bibles to you. All you got to do is do one of these numbers, like flick your hand up, and we'll bring a Bible to you. Uh, if you don't need one, that's all right. Uh, we will have it on the screens, but here's the key. <clears throat> you cannot take the screens home with you. So if you're going to follow God's Word, it's got to be either on your phone, tablet, or uh, in, in a paper Bible. You can follow us on the Restore Church app under the bulletin section, uh, or you can follow us under the Version Bible app uh, under the live events. We make it easy, you know? We make it easy. You follow along somewhere. That takes like five minutes out of my sermon every week to talk about all the places you can find the sermon. But ha- we're happy to do it. That was not a complaint. And if you've got a problem with it, listen to the sermon of how to handle conflict. We can do it later. Uh, this is what God's Word says. It's, we're going to find it in Matthew chapter 18. Now, before we get started, we're going to do two things. One, I want to tell you that this is one of the most popular passages on how to handle conflict. But at the same time, it's one of the most misused and misquoted passages on handling conflict. It's right in the middle of Matthew 18. Now, Matthew, who's trying to tell the story of Jesus' life from the birth to the resurrection, he's like right there, we're just chapters away from Jesus going to the cross and dying. Matthew 18, um, it's, it's almost like Matthew gathers some teachings from Jesus and lines them up together in a theme. Now, see if you can tell me what this theme is. Let, let's, uh, let's look at just the subtitles. Matthew 18, this is not a good way to read the Bible. We're going to get into it, so don't just read subtitles. But this is what happens. In Matthew 18, we get this theme of who's the greatest. And what we realize is there's not a greatest. The greatest is the least, right? So there's this kind of comparison. But we all have, we all have in our relationships and in our lives, this sin problem. We get to verse 10, and, and Jesus tells a story about the sheep. We got all these sheep, but one starts to wander away. Now, wouldn't you leave the 99 to pursue the one? That's what God did. Now, if we have this sin problem among us and one wanders away, how does the one get back to the flock? Forgiveness. Forgiveness is the key. Forgiveness is the only reason that you and I belong here today. Well, then we get this little passage that we're going to read together. And then after verse 20, we get this really odd question from Peter. You're looking at verse 21. Peter says this, then, or the, Matthew writes, Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus' reply is like, not seven times, but seven times seven times. Or maybe yours says seven times 70. The, the number seven is just like, in, 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 uh, in Jewish world, they use numbers as symbols. And, and seven is like the perfect amount. Peter said, should we, should we forgive them like every time, like the whole amount? And Jesus is like, not just the whole amount, not just every time. Take that and times it by the perfect amount again. Every time, times every time, times every time. But what prompts Peter to give this question? I mean, again, Jesus is just chapters away from going to the cross. Like, we're about to see the biggest display of forgiveness. 
But what prompts Peter to ask Jesus this? Well, let's look at the verses prior, 15 to 20. That's what we're going to study today. And remember, we're looking at conflict management and how to have conflict. Verse 15, if your brother sins against you. Now, I'm using the English Standard Version. You might have the NIV uh, or King James Version uh, or the original Greek. Good for you. Ooh. Uh, sorry, that was condescending. If you are reading the Greek, you impress me very much. But um, anyway, uh, I'm using the English Standard Version. Uh, it's just another translation, uh, and that doesn't mean anything for you other than when you're reading, you're like, well, my Bible doesn't say that. We're talking about the same words, okay? Just put around differently. Verse 15, if your brother sins against you, yours might say brothers and sisters, go and tell him his fault. Between you and him alone, if he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not, but if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile or, or a tax collector. And a tax collector. Whew, that's tough. Truly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. A lot of you might have heard this next verse, verse 20. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among you. I want you to look really closely at verse 15. If your brother or sister sins against you, you know, there is this if your brother or sister sins against you, but man, the more you're into relationships, that if becomes when. When your brother or sister sins against you, it's inevitable. I mean, the more meaningful and deep relationships we have, the more opportunity there, the more opportunity there is for people to sin against us. It happens. And all of the married people said, amen. But for a moment, pretend that we didn't have the rest of verse 15. That all we had was, when your brother or sister sins against you. And instead of it telling us what to do, what if the rest of that verse told us what you do when your brother or sister sins against you? What would it say? When my brother or sister sins against me, or when, when someone sins against Roger, he, I'm so glad it doesn't say that, <laughs> what course of action do you usually take? Before we see what Jesus tells us to do, let, let's, talk about, let's talk about what the word, uh, let's talk about the word sin here, okay? What the verse says is, when your brother or sister sins against you, what this verse does not say is when your brother or sister offends you. Now, I think that we can take example out of both, like all the principles we talk about today can be when your brother or sister sins against you and when your brother or sister offends you. But I want to teach you something really quickly that a friend of mine taught me. And they say this to me way too often. I'm starting to get offended by it. They say offense is a choice. And that, like, kind of blew my mind a little bit. Because of their brazenness to say it to me, first of all, 
But secondly, we can choose to be offended, or you can choose not to be offended. Huh, that's good. So when they say it to me, about half the time, I respond with, well, I'm choosing to be offended. So, sometimes offense offense happens, and we are offended. Sometimes we're sinned against. And I think the principles that we learn here together, we can apply to both. But keep in mind, this passage is talking about when someone sins against you. When we're sinned against or when someone causes offense to us, uh, what do we do? Well, here's what the Bible says. Here's our first step, first step in conflict resolution today. is to go to them one-on-one, check it, and alone. This is what scripture says to do. That when someone sins against you, go to them. Talk to them about it. One on one. I'm going to tell you what it does not say to do. What Jesus does not tell us to do is to make a passive aggressive Facebook post and hope that they see it, but even if they don't, the other people who know what's going on will like it for sure. Or what it doesn't tell us to do is take a screenshot of what they said and then send it to everyone else, all of your friends and your group message or whatever. What Jesus does not tell us to do is to text about it to the other people or to call about it or to tell all of our other friends about it before them, or really at all. What Jesus tells us to do, go one-on-one and alone. On the flip side of that, here's what Jesus also does not say. Forget about it. If your brother or sister sins against you, to just let it go. Sin cannot be, check this out, sin cannot be ignored in your life or in your brother's or sister's life. When we say brothers and sisters, if you're not been around church, it just means the people here. Like your church family, someone who calls themselves a a Christian. And for Christians, y'all, we cannot let sin go uh, ignored. We have to call it out when we see it. And so Jesus says, man, if someone sins against you, you got to say it to them and alone. Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 4, in your anger do not sin. Then he says this, we use this part for our marriages, but we also need to use it for our friendships too. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Why? Why is it important to do it one-on-one and before the sun goes down, he says, or soon? We need to do it soon. Well, let's talk about both of these. Why one-on-one? Why do we need to get the courage, get out from behind our keyboard or our phone? Why, why do we need the courage to do this one-on-one? Well, well here, here's why. If, uh, if, I have, if you have a problem with me, well, let's just say it this way. Um, let's make me the bad guy. If I've got a problem with you, because I'm never the bad guy, so it's a little bit uncomfortable, you know. Uh, if I've got a problem with you, you sin against me, and then I pick up my phone, and I start to text the staff of Restore Church and say, so-and-so talked negatively about the Clemson Tigers, which is a sin, by the way. And, uh, man, I'm just irate. Can you believe them? Well, what are my friends going to say? I can't believe them. 
I can't believe they would do that to you. I mean, if we were to make this a real thing, I can't believe they would say that to you. You are my friend, and I'm going to defend you with what I say and what I believe. So now, my friends, what do they think about you? And you've never done anything to them. Conflict in the, within the church needs to stay one-on-one -on -one and alone. Now, why should we do it right away? Okay, let's imagine that Aaron, who I think she's only ever sinned one time, probably. I think Aaron's my wife. I, maybe. It was like a half a sin. She's like perfect. And uh, let's just say she sins against me. It's completely hypothetical. But I don't tell her about it. Okay? This is how this would go. We're just chilling, and then she says, well, let's, you know, I'm playing video games. She walks right in front of me. What are you doing? You know, I was going for it on fourth and one. My life is at risk right here. You know, I'm playing, what? okay, anyway, you're not laughing. So she says, she walks in front of the game, and, uh, you know, that just really ticked me off. And so I'm not, I don't tell her about it, it just kind of builds here. Well, it's getting close to dinner time, and, and I don't even cook cereal at our house. So it gets close to dinner time, and I'm looking in there. Well, I guess she's not going to make dinner. Okay. So then she comes in. What are we going to do for dinner? I, I don't know. I don't know what we're going to do for dinner. Well, do you want to go out for dinner? Go out. Yeah, I guess, but, I mean, I thought we were trying to save money, but whatever. Whatever you want to do. Let's just go out to dinner. Are you, uh, are you okay? I'm fine, all right? I'm fine. You want to go out for dinner? We'll go out for dinner. I'll get dressed. I'll get the keys. Where are the keys? It's like, you see what I'm saying? And then I don't say anything. Let's just ignore it. Well, then I go to bed. And she falls asleep because she had to deal with my tail end all day. And she falls asleep so easily. And it's like, how are you sleeping? How are you even living with yourself knowing that I didn't make it on fourth and one? And then when she wakes up the next day, I'm, my anger, my problem with her grows with more. Well, we didn't cook, so we spent money, and now things are tight. And when I want to go get a cup of coffee, I can't because we spent money on dinner because you didn't cook. It becomes bitterness. My frustration becomes bitterness because it grows into other areas. It's like not changing your oil. And then my bitterness, if not resolved, turns into resentment and anger, eventually hatred. You see, if we don't take care of little things, they will grow until they eventually blow up. And some of us are living that right now. We got married and thought everything was going to be perfect. And then when things started to simmer, we just ignored them as if they were going to go away. And now they're blowing up in our face. We thought a lifestyle change might, might take care of them, but they hadn't. We just thought if we spent a little bit more money, we could make a little bit more money and pay off our debt. And now we're looking at each other, pointing the finger. Um, did you talk to them with your problem? Did you ask them? You see, when our kids come to us complaining about, their, complaining about the other, mom, he did this, or mom, she did that, we always ask our kids, well, did you talk to him about it? Did you talk to her about it? The, the next time you have a problem with someone, uh, just ask yourself, have I talked to them about it? Here's the other side of this. 
someone, listen, this is such a Christian thing to do, so do it. If someone comes to you complaining about somebody else in the church, here's your reply. Have you talked to them about it? Have you talked to them about it? So, let's just pretend someone gets angry with you, they sinned against you, and you get the courage to talk to them. What's that conversation like? What point do you think that Jesus tries to make in this section? Do you remember the passage right before what it's emphasizing about the sheep? How does the sheep get back to the flock? Forgiveness. And how does, uh, and, and do you remember uh, Peter's question to Jesus? How many times should we forgive? And Jesus says, every time, times every time, times every time. In the middle of that section, what do you think the conversation is like when you go to that person and talk to them? Uh, whenever I'd read about this, or read this, this scripture, I'd always imagined me walking into this meeting, pointing my finger, because I win. Just like, uh, just like uh, Big Daddy, I win. Why? Because I win. You know, like, I just always imagine me walking in and saying, you did this to me, and you did this to me, and you did this to me. And I'm just here to let you know because Jesus told me to. But when we read in the greater context of what Matthew's trying to say, it is not that at all. It is a conversation of forgiveness. It's a conversation of let's make peace. Instead of splintering the body of Christ, let's bring it back together. Remember this, and try to always remember this, that no one wins unless we reach unity. No one wins unless there's unity in the body of Christ. All right, and if, uh, let's, let's just say, resolution is not found. Jesus says this, If he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. I found this about the two or three witnesses part. The clause that every charge may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses refers to the Old Testament law that required a charge to be supported by two or more witnesses in order to be valid. In the case of personal conflict, the principle allows, this principle allows for additional witnesses to observe the matter firsthand and help determine the proper course of action. Look, in, in, in other terms, it's to bring a mediator. Have you ever just been at a stalemate with someone and thought, we're not getting anywhere, so let's just forget it? Or... Look, we're not getting anywhere tonight. Let's talk about it tomorrow. But neither one of you really want to talk about it tomorrow? Or, you know, me and my boss, we just, it, it got 5 o'clock, I went home. I'll talk about it the next day. And we just never do. You get to a stalemate. And so Jesus says to, to bring in a mediator. Sometimes bringing in outside influence is, is everything we need. Sometimes off, they offer a, a clear perspective or or clear insight. Sometimes someone will tell you when you're wrong or when they're wrong. I like those people the best when they take my side and tell them they're wrong. Those are my favorite people. So, When you're talking about bringing people into your conflict, um, be careful who you bring. Okay? 
if you make me mad, or, well, let's say it this way. Let's be true to the passage. If you sin against me, and we have an issue, I come and sit in your living room and say, man, look, I, I forgive you, but this is what happened. This is how you sinned against me. Let's talk about it. And then you're like, no. No, 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 I didn't sin against you. Or, or, or I, I refuse to repent of this sin. You know, it might be that we've got to bring somebody else in. But you know what I'm going to do? Because I'm competitive in nature, and you are not more competitive than me. You want to argue about it because I will win, see? Because of my competitive nature and my drive to always win, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go get my boys to be the mediator. I'm going to go get people that see it my way to be the mediator. And then we're going to come to, your, to the coffee shop or whatever and show you just how wrong you are. Listen, the people that you bring, if you choose to bring a mediator and to do this God's way instead of the hard way, if you choose to bring a mediator, it needs to be people whose overall goal is the kingdom of God. Their focus is to build up the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God only gets built up with truth. Not with hiding conflict or, or someone winning. Remember this again. No one wins unless there is unity. If, if we leave and you still feel like I won or I feel like you won, well, that's just going to drive bitterness and again splinter at the kingdom of God. And that is not the point. The goal of the mediator here is to not prove a point or, or to help you to show them. This mediator is to help bring forgiveness, to show, that def to show that our default as a church is just that forgiveness. And when it's not, when resolution is not resolved, when unity is not reached, Jesus gives clear instructions. Now, before we read this passage, again, remember, this is about sin. And in the Christian, uh, Christian life, sin can got, cannot go unnoticed. Read this with me, verse 17. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. Let's talk about church for a minute. Restore has been in existence for two and a half years, okay? We're really working hard to make it to our third year. And uh, we have never brought anyone up here to tell you their sin. But if anybody wants to volunteer, okay, fine. Um, we've never done that. We will never bring someone up here to display their sin in front of you because they refuse this. When Jesus is talking about the church, he was not talking about what we do on Sunday morning. The word ecclesia just meant a group, and, and that's where we've translated church. And so what Jesus is saying is expand the group a little bit and tell it to them. Get more people involved because the, the eyes of, of everyone may be blinded or the frustration just might be too much. And so let's bring it to the church. Don't picture this. Picture life groups or small groups, which you can still sign up for, by the way. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile or a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loose in heaven. Again I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, talking about the conflict, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. Verse 20, for where two or more are gathered in my name, I am there among them. 
again. Remember this passage directly talks about sin against us. Now, we got to get sin out of our lives. I mean, aren't we always fighting that? To get sin out. We need to fight probably even more and even stronger to get sin out of our relationships. We have always prided ourselves on being a church of imperfect people, a community of imperfect people that strives to pursue a perfect God. That's who we are. We will never pretend to be perfect. But in our imperfection, there are imperfections in our marriages and in our friendships and in our life groups and in our work environments, and we have to work to get those out. One of the things that has always fascinated me in just people, I like to people watch, you know, especially when something weird is happening. And uh, one thing that's always fascinated me is people who decide to date, then get engaged, and then get married. We did that. Me and my wife, we, we dated and got engaged and then got married. And we've been, you know, like every day since then, we're still trying to, it's like, hey, I'm a person, you are a person, let's decide to be in the same space forever. You know, it's like, let's, let, I pick you to try to get to know you, and then it's like, hey, I want to get to know you. Oh, I like you more, let's spend more time together. Hey, let's just agree to spend our life together. Okay, now let's do it. Not do it, like, let's spend our life together. I mean, we're all adults here, apparently I'm not, but... <laughs> Uh, it just got hot up here. It was already hot. <laughs> but we decide to put our imperfections to the side. And now i got to be real careful with what I say. <laughs> no, I don't. Because we're all mature. Apparently not. But, right. uh, we got to put our imperfections to the side and seek unity. How much more so with people we don't love every day? How much more so in the Christian body do we say, look, I'm imperfect and you're imperfect. Let's, let's love each other deeply like the Bible says to. But if we're going to do that, we've got to do it despite, in spite of our imperfections. Very rarely, and uh, well, we've only had to do it like one and a half times, had to ask someone to leave our, we call our fellowship, our church, to not be a part of Restore Church anymore. And uh, the one time, the, the one time we did, we had just launched, and this family became very important to us. We loved them very quickly. They spent a lot of time pouring into us. We spent a lot of time pouring into them, and those are unique relationships. We were three days away from life groups, and they were going to be life group leaders. This was the first time our church was going to do life group. We were about to start a youth group for the very first time, and they were two of our only teenagers, and so they were important to our, uh, to our youth group. Well, they had some questions about what we did, and those questions kind of uncovered some underlying things about how we do communion and the type of music we play and all of those things. And then it all came to the surface when my friend, I still see him, and when I see him, I hug him. When I see her, I hug her. When I see her children, and I see them once a week, every week. Um, he says to me, Roger, you are too focused on reaching lost people. I think I've told you the story. And my, my first thought was, Jesus just heard that, dude. <laughs> and you need to be glad that he was not here at this table. Because he would have flipped it. And then he would have flipped your lips for saying something so stupid. I didn't say that. That's what was in my head. But this is what I did say. 
Man, I see that we're after two different things. We will not stop pursuing those who are far from God. And, and there are some of you in here who have been a result of that. But for you, there are better churches in Jacksonville. And so here's a list of a couple that you can attend. This is so difficult to live out. The, hey, you shouldn't come to our church anymore. This isn't taken lightly, and this isn't every time someone disagrees with you. Man, this is a process. So now, what, how does someone treat someone like a tax collector or a, what's he say, a, a Gentile? Do we ostracize them? Don't come into our building? No, that's not congruent with the life and the, the mission of Jesus. What did Jesus think about those who are far from him? He gave his whole life. Forgiveness is the goal. This passage is not about one-upping someone who sinned against you. This passage is about forgiveness. Forgiveness is the goal. We don't ostracize. We pursue. And so someone who sins against you so bad that you, you have to have it out with them, and then you don't get anywhere, and you bring a couple other people, the pastor or, the, or some leadership or whatever, and then you still don't get anywhere, and then you bring them to your life group and say, this is the issue we're having. Can you help us? And it still doesn't happen and you say, man, this sin cannot be here anymore, but I love you and I'm going to pursue you and we are going to get this resolved because no one wins if unity is not the end result. Relationships are hard. Amen? Especially when you don't love or even like the people that you're in conflict with. And that happens. But Jesus tells us that forgiveness is the goal. Um, I want to finish um, by looking at this last verse. By looking at this last verse. It's verse 20. And it says, uh, For where two or three are gathered in my name, there, I, there am I among them. Now, I've, I've been in church a while. Uh, I've been a lead pastor uh, since 2000-something. Uh, and I was a youth pastor before that. And um, the church I was a pastor at before was very, very small. We started off with like 15 people. Very, very small. The youth group I left before coming to this church was bigger than the church we were at. And we had Sunday morning, and we had Sunday night, and we had Wednesday night. And I had, to, I had to preach three different messages. They were all different. <laughs> it's crazy. But, you know, you got 15 people on Sunday morning, and half of them were deaf, and half of them were asleep. You know, no one could hear me, and the other people were asleep. And so then Sunday night, you know, some people could make it, and some people couldn't because they were sick or just didn't drive at night or it was raining. And so then there would be three or four people there. You know what someone would say to me? Where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am also. And I think, man, that's so encouraging. Or, or life group. You know, you got life group, and some of you life group leaders, you've, you've prepared your house. You did the 30-minute vacuum, like, real quick before people get there. You shoved everything in the closet and hoping no one goes in there. And uh, someone says, what's that room? And you're like, just don't go there. <laughs> Do not open that door. And then no one shows up. One person or two people show up. And those people try to be so encouraging to you, and they say, well, you know what the Bible says, for two, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am also. Friends, I, 
I'm going to ask you to, to stop. Do not use this passage for small attendances. Because that's not what Jesus used this passage for. I'm gonna, I want to encourage you with this. When you are by yourself, God is there. You do not need two or three people to be there with you for God to be present. And the implication of what we're saying, I, the, the intent is there, and the encouragement is there, and, and I understand. But the opposite of what we're saying can be paralyzing. When you are all alone, God is there with you also. When you try to seek restoration and that person storms out, and we look back at this passage and it says, well, where there are two or three gathered in my name, and then we're like, listen, that's not what Jesus is trying to communicate. Here is what Jesus is trying to communicate. Relationships are hard. You know what's hard? It's when they seem like they're headed downhill because so-and-so sinned against you. And you say these words, I just never thought they would do that. Man, I never thought they would go back to that. I never thought they would do that to me. Matter of fact, they said they wouldn't. And then what do you have to do? Well, we can't go to Facebook and post about it. We can't text our friends about it. And Jesus says, go to them. Ah, I don't know about that. Or, Or do you know how angry I am? And the Bible tells me that I need to go to them one-on-one. God, I need you to do that. I need your help in seeking and offering forgiveness. Or when that ends and you just find no, no unity. This person that I love, this friend I gave everything for, that I sacrificed for, doesn't want to give up that sin that's killing him. You know what? Let's go get two or three people who love the Lord first and love us second. And let's, let's do this. And then, and then it ends with your friend, the person you love, still being so stubborn and bought out by sin that they still don't want to resolve it. Well, let's call our life group leader. Because now we've got to get our life group leader involved. Friends who are walking through life with us, can you please help us resolve this together? And then that ends, and everyone sees that this person that everyone loves is so blinded by sin. We have to say, man, we love you, and we're going to pursue you. But you need to repent, man. You need forgiveness. And, And I don't know if you've ever been there, but it is so painful. And they're just like, and I don't want it. What do you need then? Well, where the two or three of you are gathered and you're pursuing unity, know that God is there. He has not left. And he is present trying to piece together the broken pieces of his kingdom. Let's be peacemakers. Let's pray.